never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. This week's episode of the Top Five Report, the podcast that broadcasts all the way out to Battleworld, then to the Source Wall, and everywhere in between. <laughs> my name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. Here. Hey, man. How has your week been? Uh, it's been busy. Um, busy. All right, good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I haven't really done too much exciting. I've just kind of been busy the whole time. I haven't watched a, a ton either, but, um, yeah. Uh, how is your, how has your week been? <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear you haven't watched a ton, which makes my, it, it, it easier. Like sometimes when we watch so much stuff, it's like, man, we're going to be here forever. <laughs> right. Right. Um, cause I love doing the reviews, but you know, since we're watching, um, like she Hulk and, uh, uh, House of the Dragon right now, and then we got, you know, on the 19th, we get um, Lord of the Rings, and then we got, you know, I know you're not watching Cobra Kai like I am, but that's going to hit, and then, you know, there's just so much stuff coming, and Andor comes out at the end of the month as well, so. Yeah, I, I uh, yeah. do have to catch up on Co- Cobra Kai, but uh, the 19th, I thought uh, Lord of the Rings was coming out this weekend, actually. Lord of the Rings, I saw a post that it was supposed to come out today. Yeah, and- that's what- I saw that I as got, well. I got all kinds of excited, and they said it was a two-episode premiere. And um, actually, it's funny that you bring that we talk about this because, um, yeah. So check this out. So this is a, a quick early news story. Uh, Lord of the Rings: Rings <laughs> Power, Amazon's Prime uh, prequel series on Middle Earth, will debut with a two-episode premiere beginning September first. When you go to the page on Amazon Prime, it says coming September 19th. <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> so I was thinking to myself, that's the one thing I'm not going to get in because I don't have time to watch it before we record. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? And I was like, well, that's awesome. Well, this new story I can take off the table, which is kind of nice. But yeah, it looks like it's actually going to be the 19th, according to Amazon Prime. So I mean, so what's what's the deal with why are they saying that it comes out today, though? I have a feeling that the report was a typo. Um, can be completely honest. OK, because um, it just said September one. And I'm like, I bet that was supposed to say the 19th after I go to because I was literally what I did was I turned on Amazon when I got home from work to look at the run times on the episodes because I was just curious. Like, do I have time to get this in before I record? And there was nothing for me to look at. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, it's, it's one to look at short of the uh, thing saying coming soon, September 19th. Right. Well, it's, it's weird because I've Googled like a number. I've multiple times I've Googled like when does uh, Rings of Power come out? And it always says September 2nd. 
And I was like, okay, so that'll be tomorrow. Like we're recording on Thursday, the first, you know, tomorrow is Friday, the second, and I'll be able to watch that over the weekend. And that'll be cool. And then I opened up prime today because I thought I saw somewhere where it said it was starting today. So I opened up prime and it said, there was a thing that said it was premiering today at 9 p.m. So I was like, okay, well, we're going to be recording the podcast then. So I'll just have to check it out tomorrow. But now I'm all sorts of confused if it's actually, <laughs> if it actually does come out the 19th, but I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just really confused yeah. as to what's going on. And I'm like curious if like it premieres the 19th and then officially comes out the 20th and just whoever was typing these things in like forgot the second number of the dates or like i'm not really sure hey numbers are hard (laughs) so um clearly i'm just it's i don't know i'm very weirded out by this right now me too so what i'll say is this is um i am planning on watching the show when it comes out but now i'm gonna get off the line when we get done recording i'm gonna check it again um so yeah let's see what happens (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, what did you watch? Uh, you've already said everything I've watched. So I've watched uh, She-Hulk. Um, I'm all caught up on that. And I'm all caught up caught up on uh, Hot D. And uh, that's Hot about D. it for me, actually. <laughs> so. Hot D or House of the Dragon. Um, yep. All right. Well, how about this? Um, then in that case, I'll just hit my watching and reading real quick and we'll cruise on. So I watched, okay, cool. two, I watched two things that I stumbled on outside of She-Hulk and uh, House of the Dragon. Um, First off, a documentary on Amazon Prime um, called, and you, I think, Peter, I think you would really, really like this because of the artist side of you, but it's a documentary on Amazon Prime called Eye of the Beholder, and it is a documentary about the art of Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, nice. I've actually Um, seen, like, I've seen this on there. I haven't watched it, but I've seen it, and I thought it looked really cool. I mean, it starts out and they're talking about like the arts, the one of the books and, you know, like, hey, you know, we had to create art for the game and, you know, there's the descriptions. So the artist basically had to just create off the descriptions and all that stuff. They start with that. But then they get into like the art for the maps. And then one of the guys talks about how they had to like even just the choices of, well, on a map, what does a set of stairs going down look like versus a set of stairs going up look like versus what a trap door <laughs> nice. in the ceiling looks like versus a trap door in the floor versus a set of spiral stairs that go down versus a spiral spiral. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just those little things are what does a false door look like versus a secret door versus an actual doorway that opens versus like I'm like, good Lord, like it was kind of. It was kind of really interesting to watch and then getting through the cover art for the books and the art for the game itself. Um, Because you're such because you're the artist more than I am. I was just fascinated to get the behind the scenes stuff. The art stuff is really cool. I think you'd really, really appreciate it. So check that out. Um, Yeah, sounds awesome. The other thing that I stumbled on and I don't have the foggiest clue how this skated past (laughs) is a movie called she's funny that way um this movie on the surface it looks like a rom-com but i would never classify this movie as a rom-com okay um this movie all right i gotta pull this up this movie is like whoever wrote this is an absolute genius and I feel like I thought this movie was going to like I'm like, when did this come out? Did this skate under our nose in that 2020 COVID thing? Um, but 
No, it came out in 2016. <laughs> 2014. Okay. Um, but listen to this cast. This is crazy. Okay, you got Imogen Poots, um, Ileana Douglas, uh, Owen Wilson, um, Jake Hoffman, Reese Ivins, Richard Lewis, Shivel Shepard, Debbie Mazur, um, Jennifer Aniston, Will Forte, Catherine Hahn, Jake Lucas, um, uh, where's the... There's a uh, Jennifer Esposito. Quentin Tarantino has a cameo in this movie. <laughs> I, Michael Shannon's in this movie. Um, it's this movie's nuts, dude. Um, so here's the thing. This movie is about a girl who is a call girl. I'm going to spoil a little bit of the movie. Um, it's about a girl who's a call girl and she meets Owen Wilson and he's takes her out. Standard call girl kind of night. But he actually wants to take her out, and she's kind of baffled by it. She's like, you just don't want to go to the hotel room? And he's like, well, no, I kind of like getting to know people, so let's go have dinner. So he takes her out to dinner. They go back to the hotel room, have your standard night that a call girl would. And then <laughs> he's talking to her about, like, what she wants to do. Like, what does she want? To, like, what are her dreams and ambitions? And she talks about how she wants to be an actress, and that's her childhood dream and all that stuff. So he tells her, he's like, I think you're a really great person in the few hours that we spent together. He goes, I'll make you a I'll make you a deal right now. I will pay you thirty thousand dollars if you never do this again and you pursue your dreams. She's like, what? And he's like, no strings. If you never be a call girl again and you go to and you start pursuing your dream as an actress, I will give you thirty thousand dollars. No questions asked. So she Sorry. takes the deal <laughs> and then she starts trying to get auditions. Right. Well, she gets an audition for this play that Owen Wilson's character actually happens to be directing. So there's a little bit of an awkwardness, like, oh, man, what the heck? Because Owen Wilson's <laughs> wife is involved in the play. She's like one of the producers, like actors, that kind of thing. Um, so there's this crazy, like, hiding the secret, all that stuff. But then you find out that Owen Wilson has done this several times. Because, like, he runs into a girl at the airport. And she's like, you changed my life. And then he runs into a girl at a department store. You changed my <laughs> Nice. The way the movie, all the characters are interlaced and connected, you'll never see coming. And you're just like, wait, how did that's awesome. Like, it's look, that's whoever, that's hilarious. Whoever, whoever put this together, <laughs> it's an it's an incredibly brilliant, brilliant uh, script. It's shot really well. It's got this massive cast like these guys were out having fun. I honestly, honestly wish this would be really cool to see on a stage performance as opposed to just a movie. Um, OK. I could totally see it as a stage performance, not just a movie, but it's it's so good. And Imogen Poots, um, I always thought she was a good actress, but this movie, man, really makes her shine. Uh, she is the lead, but it really makes her shine as an actress. She's phenomenal. Um, so I really, really highly, highly recommend watching this. It's on Netflix. I don't know how this skated past. This, this is definitely a golden gem that somehow everybody missed. And everyone needs to see this movie. It's so good. Um, <laughs> nice. And I, I laughed out loud several times. It was so, yeah, it's just brilliant. These actors are at the top of their game. And I think they were just like, let's have fun and make a movie together. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, those are the things I stumbled upon. Um, let's talk about the Weird Al trailer real quick. Yeah. Um, this movie looks weirder than, like, I feel like every trailer, it gets weirder. <laughs> <laughs> um. But and I 
And I honestly wish... I know it's Roku and it's going to be free for everyone to watch, but I honestly wish this movie was handled at the same degree that Bohemian Rhapsody was handled. Okay. Um, like, this looks low budget, which is not a problem, but in comparison to, like, Bohemian Rhapsody, this looks low budget. I really wish it was handled at the same degree as something like that. Um, just because I think the Weird Al story is fascinating when you look at the rest of the music genre, to be completely honest, but um, yeah, music industry. Uh, what do you think of the trailer? So the first, they had a teaser trailer, and I think what I said about that one was that it looked good, but I wasn't quite sold on uh, Daniel Radcliffe as far as his portrayal of Weird Al, but after watching this trailer, I'm actually pretty sold on him. Like, I think his, I'm not going to say at every moment his voice was like spot on, sounded just like Weird Al, but he was good enough that I feel like you're going to watch this movie and you're going to, you're going to believe him in that role. Like I think his voice just sounded so much better from the clips they showed in this trailer. Um, it also looks just a lot. Well, well, to be honest, I'm starting to hear the voice. So yeah, absolutely. I'm starting starting to hear, hear, I'm starting to hear the voice doesn't match the way I want it to. I know I'll get, I know I'll get, I know I'll get over it when I start watching the movie, (laughs) but right now to me, the voice doesn't work. It's funny because I think both of us have um, completely different takeaways from this trailer, though, because the first one, I'm like, I'm not I don't know if I'm really sold on it. And this one, I'm like, yeah, I can really see Daniel Radcliffe in this role, um, which is pretty funny. But the trailer was a lot crazier than I really expected, because to me, I think it's just because of my age. Like, I know about Weird Al primarily from the 90s and like his controversy his like 90s controversies like I know hit his sort of um feud with Coolio is like a huge thing back in the day when he released Amish Paradise and stuff and like what they showed in this trailer seemed to be mostly 80s stuff like it's it, you know there was a lot to do with his um friendship or relationship with with uh Madonna which I didn't even know was a thing yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that And I don't know if this is a case of either one of the trailer is mostly showing stuff from like the first act of the film, which is awesome, which means there's a lot of stuff from like the 90s and later that we're just not seeing from this trailer or the film mostly focuses on like Weird Al's early career. And either way, I do think it's going to be either either way. I think it's it's good news. Like, I think it's going to be an interesting watch with whatever pro- approach they take. But um, no, I, I thought this looked good. I, I don't know too much to say. I just my main takeaway was I'm a little bit more sold on uh, Daniel Radcliffe in this role. You know what I mean? So, well, I I'm definitely like, look, the movie looks great. And I've always thought the movie looked great. So don't get me wrong there. Um, but the uh, I never like, the voices. I'm starting to hear the voice. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, like you, I didn't know the Madonna stuff. And so I thought that was really cool. But Evan Rachel Wood playing Madonna is just brilliant casting. Um, <laughs> so uh, with the voice, the only part of the trailer that I thought his voice didn't sound believably as uh, Weird Al was when he was giving that like award acceptance speech and he, he had to sound a little bit more enthusiastic and stuff. I was like, okay, this sounds like Daniel Radcliffe doing an American accent. But the rest of the trailer, I was like, this kind of does sound like Weird Al talking in kind of a more monotone, like just normal sort of voice. You know what I mean? So, 
Um, but yeah, ultimately the movie looks great. Um, I can't wait to see it. Um, I just, like I said, I wish it was a little bit more bigger budget, I think. (laughs) Um, another trailer dropped before we get into She-Hulk and Hot. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the blood and honey trailer? (laughs) Um, so I've watched this about looking deranged, but, um, (laughs) I've, I've watched this trailer once because, surprisingly because this is the like slasher hardcore horror version of the winnie the pooh mythos and surprisingly i had to watch the trailer twice because i knew i missed details the first time around because like the first time around i watched it on a break from work i was kind of you know not paying super close attention but i noticed like there's a lot of easter eggs in the trailer so i had to go back um with that being said i think i'm really impressed with how closely tied this is to the winnie the pooh mythos like yeah i kind of expected this to be like you have your typical like you know college kids go to an airbnb and get attacked which it does look like that happens in the trailer, but I had no idea that one of the protagonists was going to be Christopher Robin. <laughs> and yeah. there's this weird sort of like vengeance uh, sort of plot to the film where Christopher Robin um, abandoned the characters in the 100 Acre Wood. And I well, think that's just really let's, let's an interesting fair. take, you know, <laughs> to be fair. Christopher Robin grew up. And didn't play with his toys. Right on. Like, kind of like, it's almost like whoever created this movie thought, watched the end of uh, Toy Story three, and thought to themselves, "What if Andy didn't give up the toys and just (laughs) left them in the attic or the closet, whatever the case may be, and then got went home, and the toys were uh, um, not thrilled about that idea." Um, that's how I took it. And it made me like, careful what you do with your toys, kids. Um, but I just, I thought that was so brilliant in the, just in the trailer alone. I'm like, God, that's like a cool idea. Someone was really (laughs) smart there. (laughs) Um, otherwise this is your classic horror slasher nonsense, but it looks brutally violent. Like with the axes and stuff, I was like, holy cow. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Just in the trailer alone, I was like, wow, this is violent. So yeah, otherwise, I, I, I mean, it looks like it's going to be a fun time. Let's put it that way. <laughs> commenting the on the movie of the year, but a fun time. <laughs> commenting on the whole idea of Christopher Robin growing up and moving away from his toys. I think there is the thing is when you watch this trailer, it seems that the the characters they focus on, and I don't know if these are just the surviving. Um, you know, members of all the woodland creatures, but uh, it seems to be Winnie the Pooh and Piglet that they mostly focus on in this yeah. in this movie. And uh, when you see those characters, they're clearly really big dudes wearing like these creepy horror mask versions <laughs> of those characters. Like these do not look like toys. They don't look like uh, animals. Like these are clearly like people wearing masks. And I kind of wonder if there's like a weird extra layer to this where like maybe Christopher Robin wasn't in the woods playing with his toys or even woodland creatures. Maybe he was actually had like human friends and they were all playing roles. Like maybe one of them is like, I'm going to pretend I'm a bear named Winnie the Pooh. And like, I'm going to be a pig named Piglet. And like, these are actually people who are mad that he 
quote unquote abandoned abandoned them. And I think there's like I really want to see how this plays out. I don't know if they're going to explain the sort of dudes wearing a mask or not, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. (laughs) And the last thing I did want to comment on is like right now we live in a world of, uh, you know, Midsummers and Hereditaries and Babadooks and all these like elevated horror films, which are all those movies I just mentioned are awesome. But I like that this movie looks like just a classic slasher film. Like it has a clever premise, but it looks like it's kind of going to be a fun, dumb slasher film. And in this world of like elevated horror we live in, I kind of feel like this might be a breath of fresh air, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you there. Um, so we'll see uh, when Blood and Honey comes up. <laughs> um, so let's talk about She-Hulk real quick. Um, the show is just firing on all cylinders, in my opinion. I think this is one of the better of the Marvel shows. I'm having a blast watching it. Um, I think that you're current on She-Hulk, right? Yes, yes. Okay. I watched uh, the episode that released today, uh, I believe. So yeah. yeah, same here. I think one of my favorite moments and my favorite part <laughs> of the episode is when the one guy with the one the one normal case with the dude who accidentally got tricked by the Asgardian. <laughs> That case yeah. got linked to actually Jennifer Walters and he, he appeared at the bar and she looked at the camera and she got the, the fourth wall break and she's like, bring the A and B story together. Nice. That was probably my favorite fourth <laughs> wall break so far. Um, yeah. But yeah, dude, this, this show is just fun. And I, I'm really excited to see like the more cameos. I'm actually really, I think the cameo I'm looking forward to the most is Daredevil. We know he's going to be in the show but not because of Daredevil necessarily having him in costume. Like, yes, I want to see him in costume, but having him be Matt Murdock because of the lawyer stuff, I'm just really excited for that um, cameo in general. Um, But yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's all I really have on She-Hulk this week, just because it was, I mean, it's just another good, solid episode. Like they haven't, the show had, it's only like what, three episodes in and the show has yet to not be good. So yeah, it's um, just commenting on the Daredevil stuff like we got a glimpse of uh, Matt Murdock and I believe it was No Way Home. Right. And um, and then now he's going to he's going to show up in She-Hulk. But I think it'd be kind of smart if he's doesn't show up in his costume, like if he doesn't show up as Daredevil yet, because it's just like slowly building that anticipation for his solo show and or any future movie appearances that he's going to have. Uh, what were you saying? Yeah. Well, there's a clip that released a little while ago of him on the show. And it was a very, very, very fast clip. Not much to okay. see. But it was kind of like it was him kind of turning around and looking at her in the Daredevil costume. Oh, the, okay. The catch of what I'm saying, though, is if you see that clip, if you go searching the Internet for it right now, it's Daredevil in the yellow and red, not the red. Mm-hmm which I thought was really cool because of the that the Daredevil costume where it was the yellow with the red. Um, but it or, also makes me yeah. wonder, is he going to be like fighting crime alongside She-Hulk or is that going to be like a post-credit scene um, where they just show a glimpse of him in the new costume? Uh, they could do that too. I have no <laughs> idea. But I've, I've actually haven't been looking up spoilers for mcu stuff in a long time so i just haven't run across that clip so my bad there but um oh no i I wasn't looking for spoilers either it was something that dropped like early in the she hulk 
promotional nonsense before the show. Oh, I gotcha. So, um, um, they were talking about cameos and whatnot, and Daredevil will be in it. And here we go. Here's a clip, you know, and you're just like, geez, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, commenting on the show overall, I um, I feel like I've been surprisingly liking it quite a bit as well. Like every episode, I feel like it holds your attention, and I do understand that these have been shorter episodes than some of the other MCU series, but I kind of appreciate that uh, they've kind of gotten like they've gotten straight to the point. Like there's a couple of the other MCU series where I've found it. I found myself getting a little bit bored during certain episodes just cause I'm kind of like, all right, I see where this is going. You know, when are the characters just going to get there? And I do appreciate that this one's just kind of like a little bit short winded in that regard, which is refreshing. But um, also like uh, I was just going to comment the way that episode two ended. I actually thought it was pretty hilarious when it's like, you know, uh, Jennifer Walters takes on uh, this case where she's going to be representing the abomination um, for this court case. And then all of a sudden on the news, it was announced that the abomination escaped from prison to uh, participate in this underground fighting competition. <laughs> she just has that, like, looks at the camera. Well, that sucks. And then credits roll. Like, I, I, ex- I actually really loved that moment. Yeah. Um, And then comparing that to episode three, I actually thought that episode three was a little bit of a letdown in that regard, because I feel like the way the episode ended felt a little bit anticlimactic, especially when you compare it to the previous two episodes. And uh, I think episode three, I think it was an in-between episode. Like, I liked it, but it just wasn't my favorite so far is basically what I'm saying. So I hear you. Well, um, yeah, She-Hulk so far. Amazing. Um, (laughs) we're like running way long already. Um, it's a good thing. Most of the news is fast. Um, let's talk about house of the dragon. Uh, okay. This show is absolutely phenomenal. Um, let's start with the, uh, new opening sequence. They're clearly not giving us a new opening theme song. We're getting the same game of Thrones because look, everyone loves that song. We're not changing it. Here you go, which is great. It's game of Thrones. But what do you what do you think of the new opening sequence instead of a map? Um, do you understand what you're looking at before I tell everybody <laughs> what they're looking at? <laughs> a little bit. Um, I was pleasantly surprised because the first episode, there was no opening sequence and that did seem like a letdown. Um, and this one I really loved. But as far as like, I'm probably going to sound like a bad fan but i kind of didn't necessarily get exactly what was going on the full time so uh yeah what's what's the explanation (laughs) so this so if you notice but when you get all the way to the end you're looking at a a bird's eye view map of dragonstone right okay the castle what you're looking at the red liquid is blood what you're looking at you got to remember this is a series that deals with the Targaryen family and the civil war that erupted, that's divided everything, wiped out several of the members of the Targaryen family, leading us up to the events that we know in the other show. So it starts with a a cog comes up, it fills with blood and the blood spills out, right? And it goes to the next cog to the next cog. If you look real closely, some cogs fill with blood and some don't fill with blood. Ultimately, what you're looking at is a Targaryen family tree. And oh, okay. each cog has, it starts with, um, 
It starts with the I think the first cog you see has several dragons around Dragonstone marking Aegon's uh, conquest of Westeros, and then it moves on to the first cog, and it's literally like each cog is a different crown uh, representing the different members of the uh, of the family, and then there's the big one that splits nine different ways because that king had nine children, and then it starts spreading off, and this is where spoiler territory can happen because. If you recognize the crowns or you know the lineage, so if you read Fire and if you read Fire and Blood, and you know the Targaryen lineage, you're going to see, oh, that represents Alicent, that represents uh, Rhaegar, that represents Aegon, so on and so on and so on, as it t- trickles down to the end. Um, knowing that it's a family tree, I think it's brilliant because before we had a map. And the map told us where we were every time. Well, we don't yeah. need a map now because we know Westeros. Because we already got the map. We know Westeros. We know the country. Mm-hmm. Now we're dealing with a family, and we need to know the, the family tree to learn who's alive, who's dead, how's it going. So I just thought it was brilliant. Um, so now what do you think of the opening? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. Uh, like I just said, like we had so many seasons of game of thrones and we really already do have the map. Like we already know this world from all those openings we watched, uh, in the old series. So I think that's really cool. I think this was one, like I've honestly only watched the episode once. So I watched the intro and I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm glad it's an intro. I don't quite get what's going on, but I also think that it's kind of cool that this is going to be something that, as you watch the series, more people are just going to pick up on it. And I think it's kind of cool that it's not necessarily um, super um, decipherable for the people who aren't in the know, like me, for like the people who haven't read Fire and Blood, uh, not to be confused with Blood and Honey. But uh, no, I, I think the intro is really cool. It's a cool like the color scheme's awesome. Um, I do like the... Uh, I did think it was blood, but there was also some ambiguity there because I'm like, is this like wine or is this like wax that you seal like uh, letters with and stuff? Like, I didn't necessarily know what direction. So, yeah, I'm kind of just one of those people who... The wax is a good call, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely blood and I caught it right away. And then when I realized, oh, wait, and I really wanted to rewind real fast. I was like, wait, I need to rewind this because when I realized, oh, that person's alive, I realized it was representing people. Then yeah. I'm like, oh, that person's alive, that person's dead, how the way they were filling slash not filling. And then I was like, wait, this is the Targaryen family tree. That's awesome. It, it just got me excited. So, like, we're going to see characters die in the show, and then their cog is going to fill with blood. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, that's pretty you're, cool. You're going to see it kind of like the way you saw the map change when you watched the other show. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out about the show is... <sighs> First off, this I've I saw I saw a couple complaints somewhere about how the show doesn't have enough action. Um, to those people who think the show doesn't have enough action, you're dealing with the second episode of a massive show within a series that is primarily based around politics, <laughs> and there's going to be action. You know, there's going to be action. It's in the commercials and stuff, but. If you remember the original show, there was like an episode that had lots of action and then you had like six that was like all talking and politics. Yeah. And then you had like two or three that was like action and then you had like six more that was all talking and politics. 
I feel like sometimes there'd be two or three episodes a season that would have a lot of action, but most of it was talking and skiing and stuff like that. Yeah. So give the show its chance. Let the character building happen. And I realize we have to have several bits of exposition to get us to the action. So it doesn't feel forced or like oversaturated, whatever. So just saying, let that be. Um, I would agree with that. (laughs) The one thing I love about this show is that we know we're moving into this Targaryen civil war and we know it's a melting pot. We know at some point someone's going to strike, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the scene in episode two. Damon steals the egg and Hightower is going to go get the egg back. He steals the dragon egg. Um, Hightower is going to go get the dragon egg back and they're not letting Rhaenyra go. And she's like, well, let's go get it. And they're like, no, you're not going. Well, Damon's doing, they're doing the standoff on the bridge. Swords are drawn. Caraxes comes out from behind Damon to back up his guy. And you're like, dragon, holy crap, here we go. (laughs) And then out of nowhere, here comes Rhaenyra on Cyrax. And she lands opposing. And you're just like, now, when you... When you watch the original show, when the dragons are on screen, everyone loves it, and you know crazy stuff's going to happen. Yeah. And, but there's tension building to whatever that crazy stuff happened. This time, the dragons are on screen, and the tension is building against each other, and you don't know what is about to happen. <laughs> it's <laughs> nuts. And I was like, this scene is intense, because you just don't know. And, yeah, it was great. It was just a phenomenal screen scene, I mean. So that was probably my favorite moment just because the how the tension built and you're literally, like, waiting for the unpredictability of the dragon to not listen to a master. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And the, uh, the cinematography at that part was really cool as well. Like, some of those shots yeah. were were just gorgeous and I love the uh how everything was like super foggy in the background and stuff it just like it looked really beautiful to be honest so yeah no absolutely gorgeous I mean that's really all I got to say about this episode oh and then sorry high tower <laughs> um, sorry and then high tower um not high tower the king marrying wanting to marry the high tower's daughter um, yeah I feel like we all saw it coming absolutely I feel like none of us should have been surprised but you want to talk about a rift between friends Alicent and Rhaenyra, like, you're my best friend, but I can't tell you that I have a thing for that. Like, wow. Um, Talk about a rift that's going to create, that's going to appear, and it's just, you can see the the dominoes lining up to fall just the way they need to, and it's going to be epic when when we get to it, so... Yeah, Um, absolutely. I do like that, uh, and like like I said, I haven't read the book, but uh, I do like how they're kind of like... I think subtly showing that Rhaenyra actually would be like, if not the best, like one of the best like rulers out of all these characters they've oh, shown, but it seems like she's not going to have her chance. But I think it's a really interesting thing because I feel like she's going to get her comeuppance and she's going to try to, um, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm just spitballing, but I feel like she's going to, she's going to end up, trying to play herd cards to end up becoming like, you know, gaining her share of power. And I think it's going to be really interesting, but I do like how she like that whole, um, what you were talking about with the two dragons, like about to face off and how she handled that conflict about Damon stealing the dragon's egg. She handled that 
without spilling a drop of blood. And um, I just think there's there's other moments like when it came to her, like voicing her um, ideas, like as far as like strategizing against this sort of like pirate um, uprising that might come. (laughs) be coming up and stuff and like how she probably does have the best calls and the best knack for leadership but she's kind of tragically not getting that and i think that's a really cool thing they're really subtly playing up right now yeah agreed um yeah i just i can't wait for sunday (laughs) just can't (laughs) wait for it all right um we'll move into news so the first couple stories are game of thrones related um house of the dragon is getting a season two did, yeah, I did hear about that. So. I, seriously, I don't think any of us <laughs> didn't see that coming. But House of the Dragon, for sure, is not is getting a season two. The Kit Harrington uh, Game of Thrones Snow? sequel series, apparently, yeah. yes, which is currently titled Snow, um, is currently um, in development, like legitimately in development right now. Nice. Um, so I don't know what all that means because before it was just script writing, but seeing the success of House of the Dragon, they're probably like, let's get this rolling. <laughs> Um, but I'm totally down for an MCU version of Game of Thrones. I think it'd be awesome. Um, just so a connected I, universe is what you mean by that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's like there's a lot of different ways you could go with that. So just, well, it's just the connected universe and like, hey, yeah. we have the show, we're going to move to the next show. Maybe just for fun, they give us a, uh, like, there's a, one of the books is called The Night of the Seven Kingdoms, um, which is about um, Sir Duncan the Tall. Um, if you remember when Bran was first crippled in season one and he's in the bed talking to the and he's got the like nurse or whatever and the hand the the old lady sitting there kind of watching over him, telling him stories. And she's like, I can tell you more stories about Duncan the Tall. I used to like those. And he's like, no, I yeah. don't. <laughs> Duncan is he's a hedge knight who doesn't have an allegiance to any faction. He basically travels around helping whoever. And OK. He befriends uh, Prince Aegon Targaryen, who he calls Egg. So it's Duncan Egg. It's the adventures of Duncan Egg, basically. Mm. Um, and they travel the countryside, and he's basically like teaching Aegon about how to be a knight while Aegon's learning the countryside and everything that his family rules over. Uh, that's what the book's about. I could totally see him doing like a HBO, direct HBO Max movie or something. That'd be cool. You know? Nice. So yeah. I say let's do stuff like that. But Absolutely. Anyway, um, like I said, a lot of this is very short. Um, Bioshock movie on Netflix finds its director. Oh, I think I did hear about this. But uh, go on. It'll be directed by Francis Lawrence, who's known for Constantine, I Am Legend, and the Hunger Games movies. Okay. Um, I think that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm down. Here's the thing. You do Bioshock right, that is going to be an awesome, awesome movie. Um, the original game was so amazing. Seriously, that would be astounding, like, movie, if you can do it right. And I know video game movies have that, you know, that stigma of not being good, but I feel like this one really (laughs) could if you put the right people and dollars behind it. So I think it's also, like, with Netflix's track record and how they've done some amazing things and some not-so-good things, that's the other thing is just, like, you do Bioshock, right? Let's just hope, let's just cross our fingers and hope they do Bioshock, right? Let's hope they don't <laughs> yeah. screw this one up, yeah. you know? Good call. Um, Resident Evil on Netflix has been canceled. Yeah, I heard about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
One season, it's canceled. Okay. I hadn't a chance to watch it yet, but now I don't know if I will. That, that's the suck part that Netflix does that. Like, they get a popular thing, and you're like, ooh, it's getting good reviews. I'm going to sit down and watch it. Nah, it's canceled. I, I haven't watched it either. I don't know much about the series. I know that a lot of the feedback I've seen from, like, the sort of core, lifelong Resident Evil fan base, a lot of those type of people really despised the series and didn't like it at all. So I have, I can't say I've heard good things, so I'm not super surprised, but it also kind of sucks because we all would want a uh, really good resident evil series. Right. Right. Um, Godzilla and King Kong are teaming up for their next movie. Uh, Next Godzilla King Kong team up or versus or whatever it's going to be. Uh, March 15th, 2024. Uh, okay. So we got another one of those coming. Awesome. Uh, the block Netflix's blockbuster series. Um, the, the comedy they have about the show blockbuster, which I believe will be titled blockbuster. It's a blockbuster video. Oh, okay. So it's a, it'll be a sitcom television, uh, comedy or whatever about blockbuster video back in the day. Um, the TV series releases November 3rd of this year. So if, if done right, this could be the greatest show ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it's either going to be super cringe or it's going to be really good. So only time will tell right. on that one. Right. Absolutely. Um, really cool. Uh, I, I, I was looking forward to it to begin with. So, yeah. Um, WandaVision director... Uh, Matt Shakeman is an early talks to direct the Fantastic Four movie. Okay. Uh, I'm down. Um, it's just good to know that that's moving forward because we found out that, you know, Fantastic Four was without a director a little bit ago. Um, so the reason, the fact that this hit the internet makes me think that it's a little farther along than early talks, but hey. Like yeah. I said, all this news is really quick. Um... <laughs> DC may have found their Kevin Feige, um, Dan Lin, the producer of the Lego movie, and Godzilla King of the Monsters could soon be set up to be in a new powerful role. Um, so he might be the new Kevin Feige for the DCE, uh, DC Cinematic Universe, how, whatever you want to call it. The DCEU is that's what they're calling it right now. Um, the problem with him, in my opinion is that he is not a fan of the Snyderverse at all. He says that, oh, that um, sucks. He says that the Snyderverse fan base is primarily internet bots, um, and he does not believe in Justice League. Now, the messed up part about this is uh, Snyder, Warner Brothers insiders are reporting, saying that Zack Snyder's Justice League never should have happened because it further divided the fan base against the studio. Um, This is what I'm going to say to Warner Brothers, and I know you agree with me on this, Peter, but (laughs) the the Whedonverse, or the Justice League, if you will, never should have happened, and because of that, it divided us against the studio. Yeah. I, absolutely. You, you guys totally have this backwards. Zack Snyder's Justice League is and always will be. And, you know, you guys can say one's canon and one's not, but the entire fan base is against you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Justice League version of Justice League never should have existed. Period. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Snyderverse really felt like a uh, course correction, if nothing else. Like, I, uh, 
I really feel like those that line of thinking that the Snyderverse divided the fan base against the studio. I feel like that seems like kind of ignorant, for lack of a, a better word, because I really do feel like it felt like a course correction and it felt like the studio finally doing something for the fans and uh, listening to the fans, you know, which is kind right. of where we want to be in a lot of ways, you know? <laughs> well, I will say this is that it, it's a studio is basically they're trying their best not to admit that they were wrong. Yeah. And at this point, no one is harming you. If you say you were wrong, we're still going to see the movies. If you just accept the Snyderverse as it is, even if you don't bring Zack Snyder back, even if you don't, even if you don't like the Justice League, but you play off of the threads that he created, that's all we're asking you to do. I don't think they get. Yes. I don't. I really don't think the studio heads really understand what we're asking them to do when we say bring back the Snyderverse. We just he created this universe that was like to most fans, this is like what we all dreamed of. And the studio shit on it. And then we kind of shit on the studio and then they gave us what we wanted. And then they're saying, but we don't like that version. Well, nobody likes the version you put out, <laughs> you know? Right, so right. I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but what I do know is that um, in the grand scheme of this one movie that does play off the Snyderverse is the flash. And apparently uh, the Flash has received the highest test screening scores for a DC film since the Nolan trilogy. Um, yeah. Which is awesome. And it's all predicated off the Snyderverse, and it was supposed to be a course-correcting movie. So something's going on over there. Someone, I think, someone I think behind the scenes is backing the Snyderverse because it just keeps going back and forth. I just want DC to get their stuff together. <laughs> So, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's just it's really confusing to even know what to say based off that, because like you said, it does seem like some movies seem to be perfectly in line with the Snyderverse. Other ones don't seem to be. And yeah, it's really it's just really confusing. And I just get the hint of like there's just more behind the scenes politics playing out, which is really annoying because we just want <laughs> we just want to have the studio give us a cohesive vision and for us as fans to feel confident that, you know, our favorite characters are in the right hands. And right now it just feels like it's just all this back and forth nonsense that is really tedious and frustrating to deal with. You know? Yeah. No kidding. Um, well, one, uh, however, I will say regardless of what's going on over the DC universe and HBO max and all that stuff, Harley Quinn gets season four. So they've been renewed for a oh, nice. season. Awesome. I am a little behind on season three, but I'm trying to watch it. I, I binged the first two seasons together and then I binged. And then with season three, I watched the first episode and I went, that was awesome. And then I had to wait. So it's kind of <laughs> like I want, I don't, I would rather watch them collectively as opposed to week by week by week so i'm kind of letting them stack a little bit before i go any farther so it, it is it is a hard show to watch when you have kids too so that can also uh factor into that like i really want to watch harley quinn but it's <laughs> just like gore and like gratuitous like dirty jokes and stuff it's hard to fit it in sometimes at but least for me so but it's amazing isn't it absolutely yeah that's the thing um 
All right, one final story, and then we'll talk about tonight's list. Um, hot dog flavored popsicles are here, here, and summer is officially over. Yes, that's right. Oscar, <laughs> Oscar Meyer is selling a hot dog flavored popsicle with smoky gelato on a stick and a drizzle of mustard colored white chocolate. <laughs> oh, wait. So I'm. <laughs> So is it actually hot dog flavored or does it just look like a hot dog? It looks like a hot dog with mustard on it and it's hot dog flavored. But it's mustard looking white chocolate. It's white. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because that just sounds worse than just having a regular yeah. hot dog flavored popsicle. It's uh, hot dog flavored popsicle with smoky gelato on a stick and a drizzle of <laughs> mustard colored white chocolate. I yeah. don't know. Uh, well, I... <laughs> Yep, I, I don't know either, but it made me laugh. <laughs> I don't know what to say about this. I yeah. feel like it's a gimmick. That, like, it's like, we'll put out a limited run of this as a gimmick, and a bunch of people will buy it as a joke, and we'll make some money off of it. I don't know if this is going to be, like, if this is going to stick around for next summer, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I don't um, know. <laughs> I'm at a loss for words besides that. So. <laughs> it's all good, man. Um. All right. Well, uh, that being said, you want to talk about tonight's list? Yeah, sounds good. Cool. All right, everybody, it's list time. So, Peter, let's roll the thing. And now for the top five. Okay, Peter. Yes. This was your list. So, yeah, take it away. Explain what we're doing. Oh, uh, yeah, we're doing our top five movies from 2006. Um, I We haven't done a year in a while, so I thought it'd be fun to pick one. Um, I didn't pick 2006 for any particular reason, except that I was pretty sure we hadn't done that year before. So I thought it'd be fun. Um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on this one or did you want to? kind of just jump in um i feel like this year was a forgotten year right right um completely forgotten year the it completely baffled me when i was looking through the list of what uh movies came out and i was like wow somehow somehow um there this was a this was actually a pretty good big year in my opinion um, and I feel like I'm surprised we haven't talked about this year specifically. Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you find this difficult to do? Not really. Um, I kind of agree with you where, um, there was a lot of really good movies that came out this year. Um, my list, I feel like there's a lot of just really randomness on it, which is pretty fun, but this is also a year that I feel like I kept seeing movies on the list where I was like, well, that movie was really dumb. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of really bad movies, but also well, dude, a, a lot of really good movies at the same time. This movie had the mega blockbusters of She's the Man, Pink Panther, <laughs> um, uh, Final Destination 3. Let's see what else. Pulse came out this year. Uh, Stick It, RV. Um, <laughs> I know Little Man was one of those, like Santa the Wayans Brothers, Little Man. Happy Feet came out this year. I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, they, I mean, there was some great golden gems, uh, open season, night at the museum, you know, um, <laughs> but yeah, happy no, it's pretty good to be honest. <laughs> I can't stand happy feet. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I absolutely hate that movie. Um, uh, by the way, so 2006, just because we're doing a year, um, the best picture this year was the departed phenomenal, mm-hmm. phenomenal movie. Um, and of this year, my yearly count, since I usually give you a count of how many movies I've watched within a year, within that year, I saw 84 of the movies that came out this year. So Okay, nice. I think I had uh, 61. I forgot to write it on my paper here, but I think I had 61 movies I got also. I got you. All right. Well, um, this is my year list, so I have first pick. I do have about two honorable mentions. Okay, same. Um, so my first one for tonight is... Grandma's boy. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, Great I, movie. That I love this movie, man. Um, I think the only criticism I have of this movie is that there's a little, uh, little pacing issues from scene to scene, where sometimes, like, in, in rewatch, I've noticed that the movie like has these dips. And it doesn't it doesn't dip the way it should. Like it doesn't carry on to the okay. next way it should. And and it just it just feels like a really dumb complaint. But that could literally be an editing or a writing thing. Um but I just this movie is so much fun. It's just guys working at a they're they're video game testers and yeah, hilarity ensues from there. But they just <laughs> and they just pick <laughs> like they have all these like really great actors and comedians and stuff in the movie and it's just just a fun movie, and it clearly, like, these guys, all they were trying to do is have some fun and make a movie. Low budget, let's just do a movie that would be easy to make. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, this is this is a great film. Um, it's one of the movies this year that I've probably rewatched the most. Um, it didn't make my final list, just because I, I think there's... I'll agree with that. I think I've rewatched yeah. <laughs> one of the most. <laughs> and it, it didn't make my final list just because there was other movies that I thought were, like, technically better that i really liked but this is a great a great movie it's one of the most quotable uh movies within it's like in the realm of like the kind of comedies that this movie is it's one of the most quotable ones i think and um no it's just techno music well you would if you had robot ears (laughs) um (laughs) absolutely um i also like that I don't know. Did this movie have a theatrical release or was this straight to video? No, this had a, th- yeah, it had a theatrical release. Okay. Cause it's, I don't think it was in theaters for very long. Cause this was a movie that I was really unaware of. And it was really just the sort of cult fandom and word of mouth that made me aware of this movie in the first place where I didn't, I never saw it until I rented it at a uh, blockbuster uh, funny enough, but it was just kind of, I like that this movie has that, word of mouth cult fan base below it which is pretty great so yeah agreed and that's i didn't uh let's see yeah i got it through word of mouth as well so yeah um what's your honorable mention yeah so my first one i wanted to go with was uh stranger than fiction the uh will ferrell movie um have you seen this one drew I actually have a friend who's in this movie um oh crazy he plays um one of the uh, guys who works in a coffee shop. Okay, nice. 
that's that's <laughs> that's actually awesome. I think I want to ask you more about that <laughs> later. But uh, um, no, this is a movie where it's uh, it's basically Will Ferrell, who's like kind of this uptight um, businessman. I can't remember if he's an accountant or it's something with like finances, but he's very straight laced and uptight and stuff. And he uh, one day he all of a sudden starts hearing a narrator in his head, like narrating everything he does. And he ends up discuss discovering that uh, there's this woman, this like famous British author. I'm blanking on the actress's name right now, but uh, basically there's this author who's writing a book about him and about his life. <laughs> and it's really funny because she hints at the fact that uh, it's going to be a tragedy, like certain things that Will Ferrell does is leading to his death. And it's just it's hilarious to have like just watching this movie and seeing the moments where you have like Will Ferrell waiting at the bus stop. And then he all of a sudden starts screaming at this narration voice in his head that nobody else can hear. And it's just like, it's really funny, but I think it's really charming. And I think the movie really holds up to be honest. I feel like this movie did really well at the box office, but kind of fell off the uh, collective subconscious after that. So I think this is a cool one to, introduced to people like oh you've never seen this you should check it out and I think it really holds up in that way where you when you watch this movie with a new person it's still like is really funny and really clever and stuff like that so yeah agreed um this is a I feel like it's very Truman show in the sense that finding yeah. out that life is actually a work of fiction <laughs> and this uh author is like controlling everything um really kind of a cool concept for a movie um uh, and it puts will ferrell in like this kind of serious role if you will so mm -hmm. um but yeah good movie um all right so my next one is v for vendetta awesome that's my next that's my next honorable mention i really wanted to put it higher but as we go through um v for vendetta this movie this movie captured my imagination on the social commentary level because what it's really about the government control, the government conspiracies, the government yeah. uh, brainwashing, all that stuff. Absolutely phenomenal storytelling and brilliant writing. And then just a really good movie on top of it. Um, I have a friend of mine who hates this movie with a fiery passion. Um, <laughs> really? And when like I brought it up, we were at a party. I don't want to even say it was a party. It was literally like just some couple friends hanging out. And I was talking to a buddy of mine about movies and V for Vendetta came up and I was like, well, yeah, I'm the scene of V for Vendetta, blah, blah, blah. Like whatever we were talking about. As soon as I said the title, she like jumped down my throat about how that's the worst movie in the history of film. And I was like, what? Why? And turns out. So I have a buddy of mine who's a PA for a hospital. So he's like, you know, which is like the next step below doctor, like PA and then doctor. So he's been around a lot of like doctors and childbirths and all that stuff. And he knows to let the nurses do the things the nurses got to do, that kind of thing. Well, she, my friend was in labor and he was there in the wait in the room with her trying to watch V for Vendetta where their son was being born, <laughs> not, oh, assisting, not <laughs> assisting the birth. What? <laughs> And that is why, and oh, that is why she hates the movie Vendetta. Um, I, 
<laughs> okay, first of all, I don't know anybody who doesn't like this movie, but for that reason you de- you just described, she has every reason to hate this movie. <laughs> I fully I didn't think I was going to support this, but I fully support that specific reason. <laughs> Right, and it's like she's in labor, but the like they have it's like the downtime where like the kid's not coming out yet, and like we still got a few minutes, like she's still got like maybe an hour before we can actually do anything. So he's like to watch the movie. <laughs> it's you know what it is. It's and I'm sorry, like this is a really obscure thing, and I relate everything to the thumb movies, like you know the uh, what is yeah. it? Uh, like Steve Odekirk, uh, thumb Tannic and Bat Thumb. Thumb Tannic Thumb. Yeah. yeah, but it, it's just like uh, it's just like this moment in Bat Thumb when it's like uh, I think it's like the Joker character or the villain character has this huge uh, gas attack on Gotham City and everybody's being harmed by this gas. But um, you know, Batman and Blue Jay, who's the or Bat Thumb and Blue Jay, who's like the Robin character, are still in the Batmobile and Blue Jay's like, "Are we gonna go out and help them?" And Bat Fat Thumb's listening to the song on the radio, radio, and he's like, hold on, this is my favorite part. <laughs> he's, like, dancing around. And that's just, like, the whole, like, yeah, my wife's in labor, but I need to find out what happens next in V for Vendetta, like, is, like, a weird parallel that strikes in my mind. So, um, yeah, sorry, huge tangent. But, uh, yeah, great film. I think V for Vendetta <laughs> holds up extremely well. Um, like, you know, all the government conspiracy stuff and stuff like that has aged surprisingly well for this film. And I think it's, um, I don't know. Alan Moore seems to be really on the pulse with his, uh, political commentary and stuff. Like even when you watch like the Watchmen and, uh, other stuff he's done, like, I think his work, uh, has just aged so well through the years. So, uh, yeah, great pick. Agreed. Uh, yeah. All right, dude, what's your next honorable mention? <laughs> Yeah. So this next one, um, I can probably keep this pretty short and you might be surprised this doesn't make my final or my top five. But I went with uh, Superman Returns. And uh, this is one I had to pick because it's a Superman movie. I do love this movie. Like this is a movie that I watch anytime it's on TV. I stop and I watch it. And I think there's actually some really great scenes and stuff like that. But uh, I think when it comes to Superman movies, this one is actually a little bit lower on the spectrum for me, which is why it becomes a honorable mention on this list. Like I think there's uh, certain scenes that drag a little bit and stuff like that. But uh, overall, I do really like this movie. I do like that. Um, I do like how this movie's tied to the original uh, Christopher Reeve movies so closely and how like Brandon Routh has that like Christopher uh, Reeve resemblance as well as um, even how, um, Kevin Spacey really resembles um, Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor and stuff. I think there was some really cool touches that were made in this film, but I think, um, I don't know. I feel like it's almost like there could be a, a faster moving cut of this film or something like that. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Superman returns. I think the reason this made an honorable mention is because you didn't like the Superman has a kid thing. Um you know, it wasn't necessarily <laughs> that. <laughs> but no, no, that's a that's a kind of a funny <laughs> assumption. Um, this movie actually had some really good stuff. The one thing I don't know how I felt about it was I really felt they were trying to piggyback off of the Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah. Um, I really thought that this movie was going to be more Superman. Um, it's kind of like 
like I really feel like I thought they were going to try and do their own thing where they really felt like Christopher Reeve Superman, um, yeah. which is fine. Um, ultimately, I really enjoyed the movie. There were some cool things like the bullet to the eyeball. Freaking Absolutely. amazing scene. The idea that the, whoever thought that, like, what's the mo- what's a really good vulnerable point where you can shoot Superman with a bullet and s- watch how it bounces? Like, really cool. Um, Superman, however, didn't really punch anything. And I think that was the biggest problem with that movie. Um, but then again, when you have a person who can punch the way Superman does, you can't really have him going around punching things. So... <laughs> The yeah. other the other great like just classic scene in this movie is the uh, Superman saving the uh, airplane that's about to crash. Like that's yeah. just classic Superman. And I think that's like that's probably it's, my favorite scene out of the movie. Like it's so good. And I feel like that one holds up probably better than most of the movie, you know, and it's worth the price of a mission by itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Um, okay, so my first actual pick for the night is this year's best picture, which is The Departed. Um, I'm not normally a movie, I'm not normally into mafia-based movies, um, just because I've never, I just don't find those, I mean, I've seen a lot of them, like I've seen Godfather and stuff, but, and they're, and it's a fantastic movie, I just don't find that genre or style of film that entertaining, um, but this is like the departed I felt was like a master class um, with DiCaprio being the undercover guy trying to go undercover with the mob and, you know, him, you know, meeting up with the police department and trying to relay the info that he's gotten. And, you know, Mark Wahlberg was amazing in the movie, but in that sequence, I love that scene when he goes back to the police department, he's trying to like tell him what they found and everything. Um, the, uh, but then, like, Jack Nicholson is amazing. And, like, just the whole thing in general. It's just a phenomenal piece of film. Like, from the acting, the screenplay, the the story itself, Scorsese's directing, everything is top-notch with this. Um, so if you've never seen The Departed, seriously check this out. It's great. Um, <laughs> and I, I've actually never seen this one. So. Really? <laughs> yeah. And I feel bad and, like... I don't know why this kind of went over my head. And I remember um, there was that uh, it's like shipping off to Boston, the uh, uh, dropkick Murphy's song that was in this movie that got super popular afterwards. But like, I was kind of a dropkick Murphy's fan and I was like, well, this song has been out for a couple of years, guys. Like, <laughs> I don't know why you're just climbing onto it now, right. but, uh, but I, I definitely miss this one and I know it's great and I'll probably love it, but I just haven't gone I haven't sat down and watched it yet, so that's a bit of a blind spot for me. And I'm a little bit like you, Drew. Like, I've seen some of the classic uh, mobster movies like uh, Godfather, Goodfellas, and stuff. And, like, I've really liked a lot of those movies, but it's not my favorite genre. And for me, it's always been just, like, there's a level of relatability I don't get from those movies a lot. Like, I've never wanted to... Like, I've never had the fantasy of being involved in organized crime at all. So I think that maybe that's why. But, uh, yeah, sorry to go on and on. I just uh, I think it's funny that you're like, you've got to see Departed if you haven't seen it. And I'm like, yep, that's me. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's all good, man. All right, man. What's your first actual pick of the night? Yeah, so my first one is uh, a much different movie than what you just said. But I, <laughs> I actually went with uh, Monster House. So this is the uh, kids cool 3D. Yeah, this is the kids like 3D animated um, horror movie, if you will. Like, I think this is a great Steven Steven Spielberg. 
yeah, did he direct this or produce I, it? I know his name I, was on there. I believe he directed it, but okay. keep talking and I'll look that up. Yeah, and this is one of those things, like, if you're having a Halloween party for kids, like, I think this is a great movie to put on. Like, it's it's really clever, a lot of the things they do. Like, I really love that this was, like, 3D CGI animation, but if you look at how the characters and the environments look, they were really trying to make it resemble a, um, like, oh, a... Uh, sorry, Spielberg did not direct, he just produced yeah, but um, what I was saying is, like, they really tried to mimic, like, a sort of uh, claymation sort of look with this, which is pretty cool when you think of the classic, like, um, Rankin-Bass, like, claymation animations. Like, some of those were Halloween-oriented, and then you had the uh, Nightmare Before uh, Christmas and stuff, and I felt like they... That was a really cool, clever move that they made, like, the characters, like, if you look at their hair, their hair is all, all like, really stiff and uh, kind of claymation looking. But it also meant that they didn't have to spend hours and hours and hours uh, animating every strand of these characters' hair and stuff like that. And I think the uh, the story that plays out as far as what the monster house is and how it functions and the backstory of that, I think, is really clever and it's actually kind of really tragic and uh heartwarming in certain ways and uh no i think i think this movie is just really good overall i think it holds up it's kind of a it's kind of in its own little niche corner of like kids animated horror movies <laughs> but i think it does hold up in that corner that it's in so uh it yeah i don't know what up. else to say it's it's also really scary like i was surprised right. like it's the compared to compared to kids movies today, I get really, really bored with the it's it's like mundane storytelling. Like they're like, yeah, they're like really, there's no high stakes necessarily. Really down, they really downplay to the audience, in my opinion. And this is a movie that is it's a smart movie and it plays to the fact that your audience is probably way smarter than you think they are. And then they make it scary and yeah. it's scarier than I thought it was. And like the characters are very well thought out. They're very characters are very well written on top of the animation that goes with them. It's it's a really this is a really good movie. Um, so, yeah, Monster House. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So my next one is a movie called Deja Vu. Um, I believe I've talked about this before. Um this is uh, Denzel Washington, Val Kilmer, um, about Denzel Washington works for the FBI and there's a bomb explosion on a ferry. And in the investigation, he gets picked up by Val Kilmer, who is like, you should come check out this thing we're working on to kind of reconstruct the accident and maybe try and see if we can solve this case. And what they're really looking at spoiler alert they're really what you find out is that they've accidentally created time travel so they're actually have this like window where they can look into the past to try and solve these cases and they bring in samuel jackson not samuel jackson denzel washington because he just has a really good eye and they're just like we just want a fresh pair of eyes and you're a really good investigator so what would you look for so we could look in the right place. And when he finds out that it's time travel, it just, it kind of explodes, if you will. Um, ex the, the story explodes in the sense that you start seeing things differently. Like you start watching the movie in a different sense. It's a really, really clever 
time travel movie in a way that you don't you you don't see anymore. Uh, very very smart film. Uh, the acting is really top notch, and I think this is a golden gem that gets passed over and forgotten all the time. Um, so I don't know. Have you seen this? No, um, you've you've talked about this before. I haven't seen it. It sounds awesome. Um, so I'm definitely going to have to check this out. But uh, I think that just goes to show with what you were saying, where this is a golden gem that uh, a lot of people just haven't seen yet. And I'm one of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, what's your next pick of the night? Yeah, so uh, my number four pick for this year um, is a movie that I know we both have seen, Drew, but I went with uh, Inside Man, um, which yes, we, talked we totally matched at this point. We matched. You had this as your number four as well? Well, no, my number four is Deja Vu, but my next pick was going to be Inside Man. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. Awesome. So we've talked pretty extensively about this movie uh, before on the podcast, but this is just a really, really smart uh, really cool heist film. Um, it's it has this cool aspect like the film's like two like biggest actors is uh, Clive Owen and um, uh, Denzel Washington. Denzel. And yeah. uh, they play this perfect like Clive Owen is this uh, bank robber and uh, Denzel is the uh, like main police officer that he's negotiating with and stuff. And it's a really cool um, cat and mouse game. There's a really cool aspect where. Um, Clive Owen and Denzel are like oddly peers, even though they're posed against each other. But you get that sense as of like they're on the same level as far as like skills wise and uh, intelligence wise and stuff. And uh, the way the heist plays out is really hard to predict. It's super clever. It kind of feels a little classic to me. Like, I feel like the way this film oh. plays out is going to age really well, too, you know, <laughs> but um yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this since this was well, your next pick? <laughs> what I really love about it is this seems this is a bank robber with the most elaborate bank robbery sequence. So intelligently thought out that there's no way he's going to lose in yeah. any sense of the mean. And I love the bit when Denzel's like, how do you expect to get out of here? And he's like, I'm going to walk right out the front door. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a scene where you think that's when he's escaping or walking out the front door and it's not at all. And, um, it's incredible to see what he meant by that and how it plays out. Like, God, it's so good. Especially the end when you find out like how they actually yeah. got out. Um, really just absolutely brilliant. Uh, the acting, this is another one where the acting is just top notch. The screenplay is top notch. The directing's top notch. The Spike Lee film, um, which is it, it, Spike Lee's a phenomenal director. Um, yeah, Inside Man, I feel should be higher on my list. Um, yeah, but, I felt the uh, same way. Yeah, and it's just um, yeah, and I love the opening monologue because Clive Owen has that opening monologue at the beginning of the movie where he's like, "Now listen to me very carefully. I don't repeat myself. I say yes. choose my words very carefully. I never repeat myself. I like you know like that opening monologue. I love it. It's just one of the coolest like openings of a movie because like as soon as he starts talking, you're like, yeah, yeah, tell me more. Okay, I'm listening. I'm paying attention. Like, <laughs> it's also one of those genius points of like it's this point where it's like the screenwriter talking directly to the audience through the voice of Clive Owen's characters character, and he's 
basically just saying like, you really have to pay attention. If you don't, you're going to get lost. I'm not going to repeat things. This is an intricate story. And it really sets the uh, tone for how the rest of the movie plays out. So that's actually like just a really genius opening. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, just yeah, so good. Um, <laughs> that was Inside Man's a hard one to talk about without spoiling stuff, too. So yeah, it's just one of those things. Thing. I would love to say way more. Yeah. But, um, you totally like will spoil the crap out of this movie. Everyone needs to see Inside Man. Look, ultimately, it's a bank robbery movie. But yeah, and Jodie Foster's in this and she's fantastic. Um, th- like I said, just acting, everything is just completely amazing. This movie's great. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, did you ever see Dog Day Afternoon? Uh, no, I don't think so. Al Pacino, Dog Day. It's one of the it's one of the big famous bank robbery movies. It's a true story. Um, it's if you were to watch Dog Day and then you watch Inside Man right after, it's almost like if they would have if they would have done in Dog Day what they did in Inside Man, they probably would have gotten away with it in Dog Day. Um, <laughs> the thing is, like, not to keep reiterating points, but the way Inside Man plays out is so good that it's just it's one of those things that it ruins other bank heist movies for you because you're like well they actually should have just done what they did inside a man well, they would have like you said they would have gotten away with it but well, the difference is the dog day is a true story oh uh, fair enough from the 70s where like if they would have plotted so much more than just because dog day is very like two guys go in to rob a bank for a specific reason they actually have a reason they want the money um, but they go and they rob a bank and they, when the shit hits the fan, they start grabbing the bank tellers and everything become their hostages. But short of that, they had no plan. Like it was, the idea was to get the money and get out and yeah. they got trapped. So now they have hostages. Now they're listing off demands and they're trying to get out of it and becomes this crazy media frenzy and everything. Um, yeah, it's one of Al Pacino's best. It's one of Al Pacino's very early movies. Check it out, man. Dog Day Afternoon is really good. It's kind uh, of like the it's like the airheads of bank heist movies. <laughs> um, n- no, not at all. all right. uh, totally uh, joking, but all right. Well, we matched actually, so this yeah. kind of kicks back to you. So, what's your number three for that? Yeah, so my number three is going a completely opposite direction, but I went with uh, Clerks 2, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked so much Jay and Silent Bob on this podcast, um, but I just, I love Clerks 2. This is another one, like Grandma's Boy that I mentioned earlier. This is one that I've rewatched a ton. Um, in a weird way, I think this is one of Kevin Smith's most accessible Jay and Silent Bob movies. Like, I feel like if somebody hasn't seen any of them, Clerks 2 isn't a bad spot to start because I think it's paced super well. Like it has that sort of really good modern, like comedic pacing to everything. And like I said, it's super accessible. It's really funny. Um, And that like when you go back to the original Clerks or Mallrats, like some of those older movies are a little slower paced. But I feel like Clerks 2 is almost like a good entry point in a weird way. But uh, no, this movie is just classic, super cool. Notable, um, really good as far as rewatchability goes. Um, I don't know what else to say. Like, I feel like we've probably talked about this movie plenty of times, but <laughs> Drew, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one. Yeah, um, I, this made my short list. We've talked tons of times about Clerks, too. I think it's interesting that you say this is a good starting point. I almost feel 
You know, as much I, as I would say watch Clerks 1 first, honestly, but I almost feel like Mallrats is the best starting point if you don't, if you're not into, like, the black and white artsy style, Mallrats is a good starting point in terms of the BSQ universe. But um, Clerks 2, it, it, yeah, I don't really honestly know what else to say about it because we've talked about it so much <laughs> because of, you know, building up to the Kevin Smith films and all that stuff. So um, with the Clerks 3 coming out and the other movies he's had, um, it's just a good next page and, like, the next arc in – it's the next piece of the story when you think about how – it's almost like Clerks 1 is very focused on a certain point in his life, and as he grew up, Clerks 2, and then what we know about Clerks 3, it's just – it's kind of coming up to a head in terms of yeah. his movies are ultimately telling the Kevin Smith story in a way he's telling his own biography without us making a documentary about him, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, I do think, so I, I do kind of want to go off a little bit more how I said, this is like a good starting point. I feel like the Jay and silent Bob movies, it also kind of depends. Like if you're introducing somebody to them, you kind of have to play it by the person. Like if somebody is kind of like a bit of like a off the beaten path, sort of weird dude who's really into comic books i feel like mall rats probably is the best one to start with but i think there's for just that sort of normie audience i think the pacing and the comedy of clerks too just holds up so well that i feel like this is a good spot dependent or a good starting point depending on the person i guess so sure sure um all right well my next one of the night um is uh mission impossible three um, this is definitely not the best picture of the year, but um, <laughs> I've talked. Well, I've talked about how I'm a big Mission Impossible fan, but this is uh, directed by J.J. Abrams. Um, this makes my list because solely of rewatchability, and sometimes that's what makes a movie amazing for us. Where like, you know, are you gonna sit and watch The Departed over and over and over again? Maybe. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a very serious movie, and there's a lot of it that, in my opinion, is hard to watch. Not because it's a bad movie because it's I mean, it's a great movie. It's just subject matter. It's a hard sit. Sometimes there's certain parts of it that are hard sits. So yeah. you're not going to sit and have that on as background noise. Um, I can put on Mission Impossible and let it roll. Like if it's on TV, I'll stop and watch it. Um, mm-hmm. But this kind of re-cemented, it kind of relaunched the franchise into a new direction that was going to like it's kind of like, oh, this is it's. It relaunched the franchise in the direction that puts us to where we are today for this franchise. And it's brilliant and it's exciting and it's shot well, it's written well, and it really kind of like reinforces what we're going to get. And at least at the time it was like, wow, that was literally the best Mission Impossible movie we ever could have gotten. Um, So this is this is on my list specifically because of rewatchability. Because I really enjoy the movie. I think it's fantastic. And sometimes, like I said, that's what makes a movie good. And that's the movies, you know, when someone says, what's your favorite movie of all time? Well, you might not know how to answer that movie, that question. But then I'm going to ask you this. What movie do you watch more than any other film? You know, Um, when it comes down to the movies that came out in 2006, I think I've watched, uh, sorry, Mission Impossible 3 more than any other movie that came out this year. (laughs) So. For me, it still might be Grandma's Boy. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> but, <laughs> it might be, but, you know, 
but anyway, Mission Impossible 3 is great, and I'll, I'll shut up now because I'm always trying to talk this franchise up. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all it's all good. Um, I actually don't think I've seen Mission Impossible 3, which is pretty funny. <laughs> wow. But uh, Mission Impossible 2 put a bad taste in my mouth, and sure. uh, I think I avoided the franchise till later on i still need to spend that weekend just watching through all of them again but um um i guess i can move into my next pick um so this is a movie that last time i mentioned at least drew i think you said you hadn't seen but uh i went with uh art school confidential and uh this is a movie that is it's hard to describe but it's kind of like it's a comedy about a dude who goes to art school And there's this really subtle sort of um, strangler murder mystery going on in the background, but that's kind of not the focus. And it kind of the biggest parallel I could give to it is if you've watched The Office and there's like the episodes where there's the uh, Scranton strangler who's just kind of like this background person going on a murder spree, but that has really nothing else to do with what's going on in the rest of the episodes, that's kind of what this movie's about, where there's this like weird murder mystery undertone, but really it's about this dude going to art school and his friends and uh, the girl he has a crush on and stuff like that. But this is a movie that I do think it's really good. If you like sort of just kind of like off the beaten path, indie uh, comedies, I think this is definitely a really good movie to check out. But I definitely like this movie for personal reasons. Like I went to art school and uh, from what I've heard, the director, the director of this movie is an art school graduate. And when you watch the movie, like everything is so spot on when it comes to the kind of kids in the art class, the way that everybody acts, like just the dynamics of going to art school is so accurate and it's just so so hilarious and it's one of those things where I've watched the movie with like other art students and they've thought it was hilarious and then I've watched the movie with people who weren't art students and they didn't necessarily pick up on some of <laughs> some of the same jokes but um there's this one classic moment um which this is one of my favorite moments in the film so I won't go too far on and on but there's this one moment that I think's worth mentioning and it's when uh the main character, who's kind of like your normal, like slightly artsy, but pretty normal guy, goes, <laughs> go, walks into his first like life drawing class and he sn- sits next to this other dude. And the dude starts talking about all the different people in the class. And he's like, yeah, look at this hipster chick over here. And like, who's this vegan ho- holy man? And he like points to this really like hippie guy. And you have all the weird like sub genres of like people and clicks that you would normally see in an art class and right before the class actually starts this completely normal guy like nothing weird about him he doesn't have long hair he doesn't have any weird out of the box at attributes this completely normal guy walks in the room and the guy points to that the guy who's like describing all the characters points to the guy walking in the room and he goes and who's this effing weirdo over here and it's just like so good. Like I saw that. I was like, this is amazing. This movie's great. So if this sounds like it's something up your alley, definitely check it out. Um, but it is like it is pretty niche. So, yeah, I don't know. I highly recommend this one, though. I don't have a lot to say about this movie because I've never actually seen this movie. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, 
All right. Well, moving on. My final pick. I mean, it does sound cool. I just have nothing. Yeah, no. (laughs) I think you'd like it if you had the chance to see it for sure. Um, My final pick of the night is a movie called uh, Children of Men. This is probably I I really think, yes, The Departed's good, but I feel like this should have been the best picture of the year. Um, This is uh, it's like a dystopian future, kind of like a V for Vendetta kind of a future. Um, and there's a lot of protesting and, uh, government political commentary, social commentary and stuff like that going on. But ultimately women have stopped giving net, giving natural birth. Something has prevented women from conceiving babies and the science community is in a complete uproar. And it's been 10 and when the movie starts, it's been 10 years since the last child, the last natural childbirth has happened. And there's a whole like war and stuff going on, like civil wars are going on and everything. And Clive Owen stumbles on this girl who's pregnant and he's got to get her to safety. And he kind of does the, this is the most important thing that's ever happened. So I have to keep it a secret and I got to get her to safety and all that stuff. And there's all this stuff going on in the background of trying to get her to where she's got to be. And the, the alliances he makes and the friends he reaches out to and all that stuff to move her along. The movie is unbelievable. It's, it's such a beautiful story. It's a beautifully acted and written and shot movie. There's a sequence in the movie during a car chase scene where it's a, where the way the camera spins and captures all the action, you're going to ask yourself how how in the world did they get that shot? Um, it's probably a very simple thing to do, but it's a gorgeous, gorgeous, like camera shot where it like rotates on the inside of the car and catches mm-hmm. all the action surra- inside and surrounding and everything. It's beautiful. Um, I highly recommend this movie. It is, it's incredibly smart and it's incredibly profound. And uh, with all the weird stuff going on, our world today everyone should watch it the children of men check this out it's so good so i don't know if you've seen this but yeah i still haven't seen this i know i should and um i don't i just don't know why i haven't seen this one yet but i remember when um they mimic that uh that car scene shot in um hawkeye don't they uh in a a way they do yeah okay because i I remember seeing that chase scene in hawkeye i don't know if it was episode two or three which episode it was but i thought it was just genius and then a lot of people started telling me about how it's just like the scene in children of men and that was a movie that i was always interested in but didn't see for whatever reason (laughs) it was one of those things like i haven't heard that name in a long time but i guess i really need to watch children of men so if anything (laughs) this is probably just a another good reminder for me to be honest (laughs) so yeah Yeah. anyway what's your final pick of the night man yeah, so I the final pick I went with is actually uh, The Prestige, um, the Christopher wow, Nolan yes. movie. Uh, this movie is great. It's one of those things where, first of all, you uh, have... We got we to be careful talking about this because if you're not careful, you can totally spoil this movie. Absolutely. Um, what I was going to say is you have um, Christian Bale and uh, Hugh Jackman both characters have or both actors have amazing performances in the film you also have scarlett johansson you have a david bowie cameo i feel like that's a bit of a spoiler but it's just too awesome not to mention (laughs) but uh this is a movie that honestly like it 
to not like I think I think this movie's brilliant. I think the plot's brilliant. I think spoiler there's a big twist in the movie, but this is a movie that even after you know the twist, you still want to rewatch it. It's still a movie that you stop to watch when you're clicking channels. At least for me, it is. And that's not always the case with movies that have kind of a big twist that uh, is the linchpin for the whole thing. And I think it's really impressive that this movie pulls that off. Um, this film's also like a movie that I've appreciated because it really changed my perception and um, just the way I think about magicians in general. Like the movie is about two like rival magicians and uh, you know how they try to like make their way and come up with the craziest uh, tricks and stuff to impress the audience. And the way they go through the workshopping of tricks and stuff was kind of it was a bit mind opening and it might sound kind of pathetic, but they talked about a lot of the sort of like magicians workshopping their uh, act that it was an angle of that whole world that I never really thought too deeply about. So it's really <laughs> this movie actually kind of has changed the way I view like a lot of magic acts, which is kind of just a fun personal thing. But uh, no, this is also like it's a fun uh, it's kind of a pure uh, period piece and stuff. And uh, no, this is just a good film through and through. Like, I don't know. I don't want to say too much, but it's also like, I don't know really anywhere I would critique it too much either. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, it's not just too, I mean, yeah, there's the competing magicians, but what I think is interesting about it is how obsessed, like Christian Bale has a yeah. trick. So it's two competing magicians and they know a lot of each other's own tricks. Like they all have the same tricks, but Christian Bale has one magic trick that, that shocks uh, Hugh Jackman. And yes, he cannot. He doesn't understand how the trick works and he can't figure it out. And he's trying his best to figure it out. And it's the magic trick. This doesn't I don't think this will spoil anything, but it is so much more than just a simple trick. Yeah. It's so much more. And that's the part that Hugh Jackman just what I think is interesting is he just can't wrap his head around how devoted you have to be to a trick like that to make it work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really, really, really cool movie and good call for a final pick. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do like that you said devotion to, uh, to like your trick or your act. And if you're in, like, if you're not into magic, but if you're just into the arts in any ways, like, I think it is an interesting movie to watch, to just think about the devotion you give to one's craft. Like it, there's some really interesting stuff in there. So, yeah. Um, well, you want to know what we're going to do next week? Yeah. So I took a look <laughs> at our list of lists, if you will. And uh, we haven't done a person in a while either. So you said we haven't done a year in a while or we haven't done an actor or actress or whatever. Um, and just because of the body of work and because there's been some movies on recently that have caught my attention just because they've been on television. Um, let's do Ryan Reynolds movies next week. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah. I like Ryan Reynolds. Let's yeah. do it. Um, nice. Speaking of movies that have been on, uh, last weekend there was an X-Men movie marathon on FX, and I threw it on for background noise. Like, oh, X-Men, here we go. Just let it run. I'm not going to lie. Those movies are way better than I remember. And nice. I don't they got a, and I don't think they got a fair shake. And I think we all need to go back and rewatch the X-Men movies because they're way better than I remember them being. 
Uh, there's a lot of like solid gold in there. And I think we, I don't think they got enough credit because I think the MCU kind of overshadowed a lot when it came to the Marvel stuff. So right on. Yeah. With that being said, you didn't even pick uh, the last stand on your top five 2006 movies. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. X-Men three, the last stand, there's no way, but I mean, that was a mega blockbuster that year, you know, um, I saw it in theaters, like opening I, weekend. So I saw it in theaters too. <laughs> and neither. Hey, neither one of us picked snakes on a plane either. So true. <laughs> um, anyway, um, let's close this one out for the night. So Peter, um, everybody else, do us all a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. Uh, you can hit us up there. Social media, either way works. We are on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to us in those places. Um, if you do so, you will not miss a single episode. You can also uh, leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we also understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I'll be explaining why if you hear goodbye horses playing, you definitely need to steer clear of movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. <laughs> for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody.